I'm glad you guys are here today. I tell you, since Matt and, and David invited me to come, you know, it's just there was an excitement that was built inside of me to be able to come and just share God's word with you today. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to share God's word with you today. Some of them are here that are uh, from Crossroads, and they know, um, you know, I, I tend to use a lot of scripture at times. And so as I was praying through, I was like, I was like, God, what do you want me to, you know, say to these people? And, um, and just the idea of trusting in him in these times is what became really relevant to me. The idea of trusting him in the tension of these times that we're experiencing today. And so I wanted to, you know, whatever the Lord says is, is what I want to do. So as I start looking in scripture, I'm starting to see where, you know, this idea of trust comes into play. And, and man, as, as I moved into to Second Kings, it's like it just began to develop, and, but it was a lot of passages, it was a lot of scripture. So I'm going to hit you guys really hard today. We're going to kind of hit the ground running here, and we're going to go really hard and really fast because the last thing I want is any kids' ministry leaders to bless me out when I walk out the door. So, because I got used to that too. So, but anyway, um, let me ask you guys this. This is where I want to start. YouTube videos. How many of you guys use YouTube videos to fix stuff? Raise your hand if you do. If you, I mean, like that's like the thing, right? Like I never look at YouTube until I want to fix something. Like I had a front load washer at home that I completely dismantled that thing all the way down to the core. I would have never done that had somebody not been on that video showing me how to do that. And then of course I ordered the wrong parts and we were out for two weeks without a washer and and then just recently, me and my son, my youngest son, we, we took the headlights out of his little Nissan Sentra, and who knew you had to take the whole front end off the car to change his headlight? It's crazy, right? But the same way that we'll go to like YouTube today to kind of get instruction, right? Here's what I want you guys to think about. The stories in the Bible, that's what God wants us to do. See that? God wants us to go to his stories in the Bible to get instruction from him. That's how we learn. It's like no matter where we're at in culture, no matter what we're going through, no matter what the, you know, how everything's going crazy and chaotic around us, the stories in the Bible, they were put there on purpose. I mean, think about all the stories that God could have put in the, put in the Bible, right? But he chose the very ones that he chose on purpose so that you and I could gain information from them and so we could learn from them. Why? Because he knew the daunting times that we would face. And every generation is facing some kind of daunting times. It's, it's maybe just getting a lot worse, it seems like, in our generation. We're starting to face things that we never, we never knew we would, we never thought that we would. And so it's encouraging to be able to go into... To God's word and learn from those things the same God who worked back then still works today God never changes the funny thing is people haven't changed a lot either we're as wicked as we've ever been the three things that that drive us are, are these three things as human beings money and pleasure those, two things, those three things are the things that trip us up. And the problem is that when any of those things run unchecked, their calamity leaks into our personal worlds simply because we share the common nature together. Now, do you guys, do you feel the tension in our culture today? 
Do you feel the tension and the opposition to the church, to Christian teachings, to the Bible? Do, do you guys not feel that tension? I mean, we just it, it seems like it has just exacerbated itself. It's just become very large, and, and it's something that we can't deny. So there's a battle raging, and the battle is for the souls of man. It comes in the name, and get this, because it's kind of messes with us when I say this, it comes in the name of human rights. It's structured in the form of self-autonomy, just I can do whatever I want to do with my body, it's my choice. I can be whoever I, I want to be, I can be whatever I want to be regardless of reality and truth. It's, it's framed in the sense of self-autonomy. You can't tell me what to do. And anyone who speaks out against it will be condemned or, or, and, and, or will be defeated or will be canceled and forced to comply. You guys know what I'm talking about. You see this in our world today. All the stories of the Bible are given for our insight. If we want to understand the character of God, read the stories of the Bible. If we want to know what he's going to do, if we want to know how he's going to respond, Read the stories of the Bible. There was a time not long ago that I would have preached this message, but it would not have been nearly as relevant as it is right now. Not even close. Because now the enemy is at the gate, and he has only one objective, and that is to radically destroy the church, the people of God. That's where we are. So if you have your Bibles with you today, and we'll have scripture for the screen too. We're going hard and long and fast here, really fast. 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18. So if you have your, your Bible in book form, it's great. If you have it in your phone, that's, that's awesome. But we're going to just track right through here. And here's what brought me to the scripture because I'm looking in the Bible. I'm going, okay, where's the first time that it ever mentions in the Bible about men needing to trust God here you would think man I would have thought that would have been all in like Genesis and Exodus like all these other places and it's like but it, it does talk about trusting some things but as, as far as being like very specific about trusting God right here in this text is where it begins and then from there you go on through the Bible and it talks a lot about trusting God so for whatever reason this was a very relevant moment and as I read this passage and what you guys are getting ready to experience in here today it, it couldn't be more timely than um, than right now and most of us it's like we don't go to the Old Testament a lot of times to to kind of figure out you know what we need to be doing how we need to be you know responding to culture and all that stuff but man the Old Testament is God's Word just as much as the New Testament is and so he has something in there to say to us. So look at this. And I, it's got some hard names in it. I'm going to try to say them. You guys, if you, if you laugh, it's okay. In the verse 1, in the third year of uh, Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is going to be our main character today, okay? The son of Ahaz, the king of Judah, began to reign. Now here's what I need you to understand. You have Hoshea, the king of Israel, 
and you have Hezekiah, the king of Judah. So you have the, the 10, there were 12 tribes of Israel. 10 tribes were called Israel because they had gotten in a fight like, like brothers do and they'd split apart. And Judah and Benjamin were called just simply Judah. So that's why you see those two in there. But both of them are the people of God. And lots of times both of them are just considered Israel. But what he's, he's being very specific here, Israel and Judah and so he was 25 years old when he began to reign. Now, can you imagine just being 25 years old and all of a sudden you're the, you're the king, you're the leader of an entire nation. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And look at this. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's a great statement because not many of these kings get that statement about them. Because a lot of them made a lot of mistakes. A lot of them did not serve God. But Hezekiah, he tried to serve the Lord. So it says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father, that David his father had done. It doesn't mean he didn't make any mistakes. He did. You're getting ready to see some that he made here. But, but God is faithful, right? And so then he removed the high places and he broke the pillars down uh, of the Asherah. And, and, and so what this is, these were these places that people had set up to worship, um, basically creation and, and false gods. And so this Asherah was like a wooden pole that represented this goddess called Asherah. And they were worshiping this, this wooden pole. And then he even, look at this, he even, in verse 4, he broke in pieces the bronze servant that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it, and it was called the Nehushtan. Okay, so you guys probably remember the story about the serpent that, that was raised up for the people to heal them. It's like they began to worship this stuff. And so Hezekiah, listen to this, Hezekiah is the leader. He eliminated the sources that infected his people. But we're not doing that here. As a nation, listen to this, guys. As a nation, we're allowing the most abominable practices ever introduced into America. We're just allowing it. Our leadership allows it. We act as though there's no God in heaven. But then look at verse 5, and this is where the trust becomes. This is the first time this is ever said. Verse 5, he trusted in the Lord. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. The Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him. He kept the commandments of, that the Lord commanded Moses. And look at this. And the Lord was with him. Huge statement. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory uh, from watchtower to fortified city. Now here's the thing, and you guys are going to hear me make a lot of parallels with Hezekiah and today. The church has always been a very powerful force against a wayward culture. But the forces that are beyond us they're also very powerful. Look in verse 9. In the fourth year, the king Hezekiah, um, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, uh, son of Elah, king of Israel, uh, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against 
Samaria. So you have this, this Assyrian army comes against Samaria, and Samaria is just a part of Israel. And they besieged it. And at the end of the three years, he took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of uh, Hoshea, uh, the king of Israel, Samaria was taken. The king of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Hala on the Habor, uh, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. Why did they do that? Watch this. Because they, Israel, did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but they transgressed his covenant. Even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they neither listened nor obeyed. So the larger Israel had already been taken by Assyria, and the reason why was because they chose not to listen to God and obey God. They chose to do whatever they wanted to do. So in the 14th year, verse 13, in the 14th year, King Hezekiah, of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria in, La in, La in, in Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I, have, I, I will bear. Now listen to Hezekiah's position here. He's, he's kind of giving in here. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorpost that Hezekiah, the king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. So here's what happened. In a moment of weakness and fear, Hezekiah thought that he could appease the enemy. When you give in a little, just a little to the enemy, it'll never end there. It'll never be enough. The enemy will never only want part of you, they will always want all of you. Either total capitulation or total destruction. And so watch this, verse 17. And the king of Assyria sent Tartan and the Rab Sars and the Rab, Rab Shekeh. And these are all military officials. I told you, these names are really hard. These are all military officials. And I've worked on them this week. I'm like, man, I don't want to get up there and sound like I'm from Johnston County. <laughs> even though I am. And so this Rab Shekeh, Rab Shekeh, Rab Shekeh, he was like the captain of these military officials here. And with the great army from, from Lachish to, to uh, King Hezekiah at Jerusalem, and they went up and they came to Jerusalem. And when they arrived, they came and they stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway to the washer's field. And when they called for the king, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder. So here's what's happening. The, the Rabshakeh and his other military officials, they've come out and they've called for them. And so Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah, they've all come out to them. Not Hezekiah at this point. So watch this. And then the Rabshakeh said to them, 
say to Hezekiah, watch this, thus says the great king, and I want you to hear that emphasis, great king, because we're going to see something amazing that happens here at the end. The king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? So the question is, in who do you trust? What are you trusting in? He said in verse 20, do you think that mere words are a strategy for power, a strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting, or you are, you are trusting now in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. Here's what he's saying. Are you trusting in a human source to save you? Are you trusting in your politics? Are you trusting in your career? Are you trusting in your friends? Are you trusting in your financial status? Are you trusting in your social media status? What are you trusting in? In this world of tension, in this world of chaos, in these troubled times that we're living in, Where's your trust? Who do you trust? Yourself? The government? The media? It's a good question. Verse 22. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God. Now watch how he says this. If you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God. Is it not he who, whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now watch this. Here's what he's saying. You say you trust in God. And this is what pertains to us. You say you trust in God. But look at the state of the church. Isn't it in chaos? turmoil look at the condition church of your institutions and your leaders look at the Southern Baptist Convention all the abuse allegations look at the Methodists they're splitting look at the Presbyterians they're splitting look at the Catholics abusive priests what about individuals? And I'm just, I'm going to drop some names here. What about Robbie Zacharias? How many got hurt by that? Where do you put your trust? What about the James McDonald's? What about the Hillsong scandals? Every week there seems to be a new scandal and it goes on and on and on. Where's your trust? So he says, if you say you trust in the Lord, like look at the state of your church right now. Why would you trust in that? And look what he says, verse 23. Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you, look at this, look at what I'm offering. I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, compare what I have to offer you and what you're holding on to. Here's what he's saying. We are offering you the world and you can live any way you want. 
You know that's the reason why we use, lose a lot of our youth? You know they seem so on fire here in, in our churches and, and in our gatherings and we put them on worship teams and we put them in kids ministries and, and they seem like, man, they're just they're serving the Lord like crazy, right? And then all of a sudden they step out into the real world and it consumes them. Why? Because they hate God? No, they love God because they're consumed with the offer that is presented to them. All of a sudden, this offer is too hard to pass up. This offer makes my flesh feel really good. Remember, it's all about, it's all about money, pleasure, and power, ultimately. That's what drives us as human beings. And hey, I just want to be accepted. I just want to fit in. Hey, I want to have a good time like it looks like everybody else is having a good time. All my friends on social media seem like they're living it up. How come I'm not living it up like them? And I'm still attending over at the church on Sunday morning. God, where's your blessing for me? And you can see this king of Assyria. And he's like, hey, here's what I have to offer you. Why would you reject? You can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do if you'll follow me and just come hang with me. Do you see how tempting that is? That's so powerful. There's some powerful forces out there, guys, that have come against us. And, and they're not going to stop. Look at verse 25. Moreover, watch this. Watch how he frames this, guys. This is scary. Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up to you? To come up against this place to destroy it? Listen at what Sennacherib is saying, or, or, or the Rab Shekai is actually saying on behalf of Sennacherib. He's saying, is it without, do you think this isn't from God what I'm doing? Do you think God's not dealing, working with me just like he is you? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Watch. The strategy today, and this is what makes it so hard and so frustrating. The strategy today is for evil movements to proclaim the name of God. That's what they do. They'll say, oh, you think you're with God? To Christians, they'll say, it is us who are actually with God. God is on our side blessing our movement. You better know your Bible. You better know who you trust in. You better know why you believe what you believe. But here's the thing. If on behalf of like a, a, a Rab Shekinah and on behalf of the culture, you can say anything you want to say, but it doesn't make it true. You can say you're a Christian all day long, but just because you say you're a Christian doesn't make it true. And then in verse 26, then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah and Shebna and Joah, said to the Rab Shekinah, Please, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. And here's what he's saying. He said, don't speak so loudly so that everyone hears because we don't want them to know what's really going on. And that is one of the problems with our pulpit today. We don't address what's really happening in our culture. We come into our buildings and we listen to tidy little messages and we raise our hands as though we've done something powerful for God. And we do this because it's easy instead of dealing with the tragedy that's going on all around us. Some of us in this room, you know what I mean by the tragedy going on around us. You got things going on in your family 
you wish did not exist. Some of us have been stretched big time trying to figure out, man, this, if, if, am I doing this right? Am I responding correctly? What am I supposed to do? I hope we find a good answer today. I believe we will. Verse 27, but the Rabshakeh said to them, has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and to drink their own urine? The problem is everyone will be impacted by what the enemy is doing. And to be quiet is not an option. Our children and our grandchildren have to face the pressures of the world that we leave behind. So then the only question will be, well, what do we do about it? Watch what the Rabshakeh says again. Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah. Hear the word of the, here it is again, the great king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. The enemy says this. The enemy says, don't let Christians deceive you. They don't have the answers. That's what the enemy says to the world. That's what the enemy says to the church members. Don't listen to the Christians. They don't have the answers. Look at their lives. They're all messed up anyway. Look at their institutions. Look, look at their conventions. Look at their churches. Look at all the stuff that goes on. Verse 30 says, do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each of his own fig tree and each one of you will drink water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine and a land of bread and vineyards and a land of olives and honey, that you may live and not die. Do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. What he's saying is give in to the culture and your life will go much better. You'll be comfortable. Your current lifestyle will not change. Your status and your relationships in life will not be threatened. Just follow the culture. Just go along with what the culture says. That's what he's saying. Verse 33. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Syria? So he says, what about other nations? Look around. It's not just happening in America. Look, look broadly. Look at Britain. What's happening in Britain? Look in Australia. What's happening in Australia? Look in Canada. What's happening in Canada? He says it's happening in every nation. The culture's winning the battle. And then he says, and where are the gods of Hamath? In Arpad, where are the gods of Shepherdvaim, Hina, and Eva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? He says, what about, this is what he's saying, what about other religions? How are they doing? What about Islam? What about Hinduism? What about Buddhism? Do you think they have the answers that you want? How about Jehovah's Witnesses? How about Mormonism? Do you think they have it all together? 
Verse 35, who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. Here's what the rapture guy is saying. He's saying your religion can't save you. This God that you claim to serve either, he can't save you. Verse 36, but the people were silent and they answered him not a word. For the king's command was, do not answer him. And we are silent. And the church has been silent. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. In chapter 19, verse 1, as soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and he covered himself with sackcloth and he went to the house of the Lord. Hezekiah went to God. That was his response. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary and the senior priest and covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz, so they went to look for an answer from the man of God. People are coming to the man of God looking for answers. Man of God, will you have an answer? And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, verse 3, this is a day of distress and of rebuke and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth and there's no strength to bring them forth. I almost see abortion right there, but this is a day of distress, rebuke, and disgrace in our nation. The moral fiber of Christianity that founded this nation is being rebuked by the culture. Verse 4, it may be that the Lord our, your God heard all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to, and here's what he did, he mocked the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer. This is going to be key, guys. Lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When the servants of Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. So the very first thing God says in answering, he says, don't be afraid. Don't let it drive you to fear. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. The second thing God is saying here, he says, you gotta trust me because here's what I'm going to do. You see what I mean? God tells us in his word what he's going to do. In verse 8, the Rabshakeh returned and they found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna. For he had heard that the king had left Lachish. And the king uh, heard concerning uh, Tirhakah, king of Cush. Behold, he has set out to fight against you. So he sent messengers again 
to Hezekiah. So this is the Rabshakeh. He just he got distracted and he's run off to go do something else. But he's sending messengers back to Hezekiah saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. In other words, he's saying, Do not trust God because he cannot save you from me. The culture is telling us, Do not trust your God because your God cannot save you from what we're about to do that's where we are guys that's where we are so verse 11 behold you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands devoting them to destruction and shall you be delivered when you watch everybody else folding, when you see, when you even see denominations fold, when you see churches fold, when you see, when you see Christianity become progressive Christianity because it wants to be uh, in, in sync with, with the culture. And so, yeah, you guys, come on, we'll do whatever you say. It doesn't really matter what the Bible says. Everybody's misinterpreted that anyway. We know God's just simply a God of love and God, a God of love, he'll never do anything to hurt you. Now, what we say? It says, How so, and, and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them? The nations of my fathers that my fathers destroyed? Gozan, Haran, uh, Rezeph, and the people of Eden who are in uh, Telassar? Uh, where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of, of Serevian, remember how you say it, the king of Hena, and the king of Iva? Where are they at? Here's what he says, and I want you guys to get this real close. You've seen how powerful this movement is. Do you really think that you can stand against it? Because here's what the culture says. Do you see how we've overtaken the schools, the universities, the corporations? How we have your kids being indoctrinated by our social media platforms that you put in their hands and you can't control? How we are destroying the lives of the most innocent among us in the womb and we're making you pay for it? Do you see how we are convincing your little boys that they are not little boys but they're little girls and your little girls that they are actually boys? Do you see how we convince them that they could be dogs or they could be cats or they could be whatever they imagine themselves to be? How we just want them to be assured that there is no God and there's no Christ and there's no shed blood for sin. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's only happiness and full autonomy. That's all there is. Do you see how we're convincing them to commit suicide and telling them it's your fault because you're unwilling to accept their delusion? Do you see how we're legalizing drugs to delude the minds of the next generation so that they'll believe whatever we tell them? How we're making pornography free speech? How we're teaching even kindergartners it's okay to be sexually immoral? How we're redefining what it is to be human? How we will combine human and machine? Do you see how we're redefining families from traditional moms and dads to whatever we want it to be? How we are making all things sensual and calling that the height of human experience? Do you see how we're convincing people that the climate is being destroyed by capitalism and we never tell them that it's wasting away because of our sin? 
Do you see how we teach that we actually have no sin? And do you see how we would say the most sinful thing that you can do is to believe in your mythological sky god, Jesus, and believe somehow that he magically can save you? Do you see how if you do not let us do whatever we want, we will convince everyone that the reason why you want is because you hate them? It feels overwhelming, doesn't it? That's what we're faced against, faced up against. Verse 14, Hezekiah received a letter from the land, from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah, look what he did, guys. He went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. You gotta hear this. We have something the enemy doesn't have. direct communication to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. No matter how much the enemy would try to deceive, no matter how much the culture would tell us, no, God's on our side, he's not on your side. The Holy Spirit exists with the people of God. And that Holy Spirit inside of you connects you to the awesome, holy, mighty, most powerful source in all the universe. We have the one thing that the enemy doesn't have in this. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. Look at what he does. And it wasn't a long prayer. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and he said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. Listen at that. You alone. Culture's not God. Of all the kingdoms of the earth that you have made, heaven and earth, this is all your place. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent, listen to this, to mock the living God. You've got to understand, this is what culture's doing. They're mocking the living God. God will not stand for that, but so long before he acts. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations of their lands, and they've cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So here's what Hezekiah is saying. He's saying, I'm just being honest. He said, these forces are more powerful than we are. They tear down every institution that does not align with their mission. So now, O oh Lord God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you O oh Lord, our God alone. This is where we are today, guys. This is the point that we're at. It's gotten beyond our futile attempt to repair it with another church program unless that program is genuine prayer. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. Here's the thing. God hears and in God's time and in his way, he answers. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She, he's speaking about Judah, despises you, speaking about Assyria. She scorns you, the, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. The church 
hates what it sees going on in the culture. The church hates what it sees the culture doing to our children. Verse 22, whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? And this is God saying this. You've mocked the Holy One of Israel. That's who you've mocked. But far, so far more than how the enemy has offended me, here's the thing. The enemy offends God. And you guys know this verse. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he'll reap. By your messengers, you have mocked the Lord. That's what you've done. You're mocking God. You have said with many chariots, I have gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon. I have failed its tallest cedars, its choicest cypress. I have entered its farthest lodging place, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells, I drank foreign waters, I dried up with the, with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. Here's what the, here's what the enemy is saying. The enemy is saying, or, or here's what God is saying about the enemy. The enemy operates in pride and arrogance. Here's the pride and arrogance of the enemy. The enemy says we've built our cities, we've built our institutions, we've built our educational systems and our government and wealth and technology and power. But by claiming autonomy, they mock God. God says, no, I'm the one who controls this. Verse 25, have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned it from days of old, what now I bring to pass, that you should turn your fortified cities into heaps of ruins, while the inhabitants shorn of strength and dismayed and confounded like, have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetop, blighted before it is grown. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears. I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. Nothing surprises God. He knew that what we're facing today would come and it would be exactly like it is. But then watch this. If you want to know what really is going to happen, what the future looks like, here again, we get in the story and God tells us what's going to happen. Watch. Verse 29, and this shall be a sign for you. This year, eat of what grows of itself. And in the second year, of what springs of the same. And of the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. He's speaking to Judah. He's speaking to Hezekiah's people. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah, watch this, shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Here's what God is saying. If you will trust in me, you will see my hand. Right now, you may feel like you're losing, like no one wants to listen to your biblical worldview. You're considered hateful and unloving and on the wrong side of history because you're unwilling to go along. But here's what he says, verse 31, for out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will do this. God will act. And watch what he does. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into, my, into this city or shoot an arrow there 
or become or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Do you know how true Christians know they're going to win? Because he's already said that we are. He's already told us. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Be ready because you never know just what God may do when Christians pray. Watch this, guys. Last part. Watch. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185 of the camp of the Syrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, the great king, right? Who thought he was so great? The culture who thinks they're so great, who defies Almighty God and tries to convince the whole world to follow them? That great king that claims to be so great in this moment? Watch this. And Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And, and as he was worshiping in the god of Nisroch, his god, Adram, Elik, and uh, Shahrazer, his sons, his own sons, look at this, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Eret. And Ashar Hadan, his son, reigned in his place. This culture that claims to be so great, this is following me because I've got so much more to offer you. Here's what God says. God says, trust me. No matter the tension, no matter the circumstances, no matter the times, no matter the cultural changes, Trust me. I want you guys to see these verses right here, and then we'll close. I told you I'm a preacher with a lot of verses, aren't I? Not yes. Man, I've never had so many verses in a message in all my life. But I hope you go home and read your Bible because you see the stories there. So look at these things that God told us about trusting him. Psalm 910, and those who know your name, they put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him, and he will act, is Psalms 37, 5. Look at this, Psalm 40, verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Isaiah 26, 4, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Psalm 32, 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. And then you guys know this one, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes?